Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news, reviews, and playthroughs. I'm Peter, and today we're reviewing... I don't <laughs> Ashes Reborn! Red Raids! I'm with Mike. What's up, Mike? I totally spaced. Yeah, you're, you're just saying words now. Hey, I'm Mike, and I'm here with Peter, and Peter's an alcoholic or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, that's the funny thing. I haven't drank in, like, three weeks. So, yeah. Oh, good for you, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's that. Uh, yeah, since I was over at Jerry's last time. But people don't need to know that. What they need to know is what we're reviewing, and it's Ashes Reborn, I almost called it Phoenix Reborn. It's not. It's Ashes Reborn, which is a competitive card game, and we're doing the Red Reigns, which is a a co-op and solo expansion for one or two players. Correct. Yes, I got it all out. (laughs) And for the design discussion, we'll be talking about adding on solo co-op modes, right? (laughs) Oh, man. We are so prepared today. We got it. We got it, man. That that was the hard part. Everything else will flow like... Something doesn't flow well, like licorice. <laughs> I feel like we're at Willy Wonka's chocolate factory already. Like it's totally not going well. Bruca, Bruca Salt or whatever her name yep, was. That yeah. was it. That was it. She'll uh, she'll be flowing down the chocolate river any minute now, <laughs> right at us. Yeah, so, so just to clarify what the game we're covering is. So Pladat had this game that was originally called... Just Ashes, right? And then like some subtitle. Yeah, Ashes. Rise of the Phoenix Born. So there was a Phoenix in there at some point. So yeah, that that was a competitive sort of Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone-like-ish, you know, CCG. Well, not CCG, like you knew what you would buy in each pack. So uh, LCG-ish, head-to-head card game. They rebalanced it and changed some major rules and re-released it as Ashes Reborn and have like an upgrade pack to turn the old version into like the new version stuff. And then uh, now with the Red Reigns, they have a solo co-op mode. And actually, we were talking about it in uh, Discord, Terrence, uh, Peter does videos with uh, most Fridays. He posted uh, an announcement from Plaid Hat. Uh, that they've announced the Frostwild Scourge, which is the second boss um, in this new mode. So we'll be talking about the Red Reigns and the first boss, but they definitely have more planned and more things coming. So that's pretty cool. Yes. So there's only one boss currently available with two kind of encounter sets, but we'll get into that. Actually, we're not even into the main part of the review yet. We haven't talked about what we've been playing, Mike, or thanked our Patreon patrons. I always call them Patreons. I don't know why. Like, Stop patronizing our Patreons. Yeah, our Patreons. <laughs> See, you did it. Dang it. No, I did I did it on purpose. <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, yeah, so let's thank some of our patrons real quick. We do have a Patreon, uh, if you're interested, at patreon.com slash one stop. Uh, we have exclusive videos there at this point. Oh, people. 36. 36 videos that do not exist anywhere else, cannot be seen anywhere else except on Patreon. Um, these are like extra reviews, extra playthroughs, extra top 10 lists, extra discussions between me and Peter or uh, Colin and I did uh, videos where we each talked about and reacted to uh, each other's top games of 2022 lists. So fun stuff. Uh, if you'd like to support us, uh, you can go on over there. And we'd like to thank a few of our supporters right now. Joshua Stitch, James Vincent, Kevin Scheffler, Paul O'Shea and Scott Reeves. Uh, Joshua, James, Kevin, Paul and Scott. Thank you so much for your support. 
Uh, thanks to all our patrons. And, you know, if, if you uh, are not able right now or aren't interested in uh, supporting us on Patreon, you can still join our Discord. You can subscribe to the streaming channel and to the regular channel. You can leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. All that stuff helps to get our uh, community out there and uh, get more people watching our shows and, and doing our stuff. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for your support. Yeah, liking, subscribing, leaving yeah. reviews, and definitely uh, Golden Geeks are coming up here soon. So keep an eye out for that if you're a member of Board Game Geek, and definitely vote for us for top podcasts there as well, even though we've never pushed for it in the past. But speaking of uh, getting names correct, which you did this week, I feel like way better than last time we recorded. Um Ryan Picklesimer is, uh, said Willy Wonka's Insane Asylum, and I do feel like that's how we've come off so far. So uh, there's that. But, uh, Mike, I was just playing a game, which is why I was a little bit late getting on, and I didn't even notice that you were a little, or you didn't even notice because you were a little later getting on than I was. Um, <laughs> but I was just playing the Princess Bride storybook game. Which, oh, cool. How'd that go? Is that your first play of it? Well, it was our first and second play of it uh, because my family loved it and wanted to play again. Second mission took a little bit longer than the first one. The first one's very quick, like five, yes. ten minutes. Um, the second one went a little bit longer than that, but it's basically a storybook game where it is cooperative in the sense that you're all controlling the same characters could be played solo just as easily as cooperative. I do feel like you have to love the movie um, in order to appreciate or at least know the movie because my, yes. ki my kids and wife pointed out, like if you didn't know the names of these characters and it's like, put this person in the same place. Now they do have all their names on their bases, but they're little tiny names on little tiny bases. Like, and there's nowhere else that would show you who the characters were. So, like, if you didn't know the story at least a little bit, you're like, why am I throwing somebody in the water and then grabbing them out again? Like, you would not understand. So, and if you didn't understand all that, don't get the game. If you did, go buy it immediately. It's super fun, and it'll totally get you, like, it. it it's not anything overly, like, complicated or whatever, but, I mean, it's definitely fun story, like, where it just gets you back in the, the vibes of being there. And... We almost lost the second mission, actually. Like, it, I, I did not find it super easy. And I don't think mm -hmm. we made that many terrible mistakes while playing. Like, it was just, you know, I think sometimes it's going to happen that way, too, where the luck comes up your way or not. But it was fun. Definitely a lot of fun. So uh, that's my most recent play. How about you, Mike? Well, yeah, first, I'm, I'm glad that you enjoyed that one. Uh, I do like the Lord of the Rings one better. It's like a little bit crunchier. But it, it's still a very straightforward game. So once you all finish The Princess Bride, I'm curious what your opinion will be of that one. View of both of them together, I think. I feel like that's yeah, a Yeah, I think that would make review. sense. It's the same system in the end. Yep. I've been playing a lot of competitive games. This is spring break uh, for my kids and for me since I, I'm a teacher. So I've been playing mostly Summoner Wars 2nd Edition. Uh, that's another plaid hat game, just by chance. <laughs> Top five game and, of all time for me, as you know. Yeah, and... So I, I used to play the first edition with Peter a ton. I could not beat Peter to save my life, which is probably still going to be the case with second edition. Um, but yeah, I collected a bunch of it and eventually I uh, stopped playing it. And the second edition fixes things. Mostly that didn't come up for us in our play because we weren't at like the high level of competitive Correct. play. Yeah. Like people were like abusing strategies, like killing your own units and stuff that we didn't really think of that often. But in any case, the second edition is definitely better, better balanced, uh, a little bit cleaner to play, a little bit cleaner to track things, set up and tear down. 
Uh, I bought uh, like the starter set. My son liked it so much. I bought the master set. It's not too expensive for all those things. That gives you a ton of uh, people. And there is solo play, but only on the website. So it's web-based. You can play it on your phone or like on a computer. On uh, Summoner Wars Online, you can play solo against other factions, but you need to like uh, pay money if you want to unlock more than a couple factions. I think they give you like three for free. But then they also have uh, a campaign there that I, I actually recorded a video of this week. So I'll have a playthrough probably next week of it if people are interested. But yeah, they have like a cool little campaign where you like are slowly leveling up your deck and leveling up your army and fighting against increasingly more difficult uh, people. You know, the AI is not that smart, but they give them higher health and like more attack than they have in the regular game. So it yep. kind of balances them being a little bit dumb, which is all you need. So it's super fun. I mean, it's it's definitely a top like skirmish tactical game for me. It'd be awesome if they had like, you know, now that they have red rains for ashes. It'd be awesome if they made like a, a official solo co-op like boss battle mode for Summoner Wars. I don't necessarily see that happening, but uh, we've been having a ton of fun with that. Besides that. Um, well, and one of my favorite ways to play the game used to be four player, yes. which put two maps next to each other. But you could like go around it, like wrapped around where if you went off the left side, you'd come back on the right side of the map, like of the two maps you had put next to each other. So I think there is a way for them to do co-op as well. If you sure. they're against like two AIs, because again, that. Like, it, it just makes you think in different spaces when you have to worry about a wraparound all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D definitely spaces in my mind did not think about too well, usually, and then I would lose. Um, <laughs> and Ryan says, and then, inconceivable! Talking yes. about our uh, Princess Bride review. All right. Yes. The other thing, I just received yesterday my pledge for a really cool little solo trick-taking game called For Northwood. I did a preview of it a while ago, and I'll have a review of it in the next week or two this one is fabulous um if you like trick takers or even if you just like basic like solo card games it's really inexpensive it's really small basically um if you know trick takers like everyone plays a card to the trick and whoever has the highest card wins in this one the ai you just flip a card for them every round so they always lead the trick and you have to follow suit if you can and then try to like beat them but you're going to these different fiefs and each one has a number from zero to seven. And that's how many of the tricks you have to win. So, so and, and you get to see your hand and then decide where you go and where you go determines what the Trump suit is. And you have these powers like it's it's pretty straightforward, but it's also kind of meaty. And the game uh, now the retail version comes with like a scenario book that has 16 challenges with two difficulty levels per challenge. So it's it's kind of absurd how much game they fit into like. I don't know, Flip a card and beat it. Twenty bucks. <laughs> well, well, not just that, but also like a very small package. So yeah, it's yeah. An amazing value. So I love this one. This is uh, kind of like Resist Peter, which I don't know if you played anymore since we talked about it that one time. Nope. Th there's another like solo fun card game that I might pass to you, and if you enjoy it, maybe we do a podcast on it because it's it's a blast. Is it just a deck of cards? Yeah, it's, it's well. So it's uh, well the map and stuff too, of course. But like, are you just playing with so a normal the deck cards? So the cards are one through eight with four suits. So you could use like regular cards and just have the ace be the one. But then you have a deck of like, uh, I want to say 24 or 20 of these ruler cards with special powers. So there's not really any way to play the game with just a regular deck of cards. Which I'm totally but fine But again, with. it's super cheap. cheap. The, the art is adorable. The components are really nice. Uh, it's it's side room games, so it's plastic cards. So they like feel, and, but good plastic cards. I like the crappy ones they had 10 years ago. Sure. So yeah, no, it, it's, it's pretty great. Um, is it solo only? It is solo only. I mean, uh, okay. 
you can always cooperatively make decisions, <laughs> but yes, yes. Te- technically only one player for it. Interesting. Yeah, no, I definitely be interested. I mean, you know me, I love simple, straightforward games, something you, that's portable. You could take with yeah. you. Well, and it's a trick taker. I know you like trick takers and like I do. Yes. One of my favorite genres. So speaking of solo only games, I was just playing resist the other day as well. Um, oh, you were okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've only played once, so uh, I did post. Oh, it's it's the same the other day. <laughs> the same the other day, which was like for me not that long ago. Feels like sure. like a week ago or whatever. Yeah. So I played through it. It's a game where it's a deck builder where you start with like half of the cards in your deck, but it's either randomly decided at the beginning of the game or you um can draft where you pick two at a time, one I'm putting in my deck, one I'm not, and you could go through it that way. It shouldn't take long either way, but these are not normal size playing cards. And this is what threw me off at first. The cards you're playing with are like huge double plus size cards that are like your cards and they have two halves. You can either put them on the like aggressive side where you're, they're actually actively in combat or the like behind the scenes side. I forget the names of them exactly. It's Um, uh, hidden and revealed. Yeah. So if you're revealed, then the card's going to go away and it's like culled out of your deck forever. And if it's hidden, then it goes back in your deck, but it's usually a much weaker power. So you're resisting, but do you want to do it out in the open blatantly or do you want to do it in the background? And you're fighting off all kinds of enemies and things like that. I don't want to get too deep into details, but it was very interesting. I really liked what you were doing. I kind of felt like you were on the razor's edge the entire game. Like the decision between... Playing it revealed or hidden was very interesting each turn. Mike told me I cheated because there's apparently a card that's way too yeah, you good. You didn't cheat. It's, and and, and I used it over was... and over because it was awesome. <laughs> but yes, uh, yeah, no, that that game, it, it's fun. And I'm sure we'll get to that one too. Although we've said that about 10 games now, so maybe we don't get to any of them at the yeah, end yeah. of the day. So this well, might funny, be your only review of it. <laughs> what's funny mentioning Resist is... I don't want to reveal too much because I don't know how much there has already been shared, but he, I, uh, there's a new one I, coming. I, oh, did, did he officially announce that? Yeah. So there's a new one coming. Different theme, though. I forget the theme. I think that might well, I mean, be... I know what it is. Did they already? Yes, he did. He did reveal it. If it's on BDG, then I'm not worried about it. It might not be on yes, BDG. Okay, it is. Well, okay. No, no. Okay. So, yeah, it's called Witchcraft. It's the same basic system with some really cool things. I was uh, doing some playtesting for David's my friend, uh, one of the main designers. I was doing some playtesting and like rules reading for him this morning. But yeah, so this time it's uh, it's sort of like a riff on the Salem Witch Trials, except it's like in a fictional version where the women involved actually have magical powers and are trying to defend the the towns from like werewolf attacks and like vampires and that kind of stuff. But the people are still persecuting them and like uh, putting <laughs> them on trial reason. and stuff. <laughs> okay. So what, what you're trying to do is, like, defend the town, but at the same time convince the, like, leaders of the town that magic is useful and they should, like, let you defend the town openly. So in this, in, in Resist, which is based on the Spanish Civil War, when you're hidden, you, like, you know, run away and get to fight another day. When you're revealed, you, like, bla- you know, run in with a grenade and, like, <laughs> right. that person's not going to do anything anymore. Like, maybe you go to jail, maybe you're killed. Um, in this one, all the people who are defeated go into uh, prison like in the town's jail, but a kind of nice touch is that if you get the best ending, it says that like the town sides with you and all of them get released. So like you can spoil alert. Like, all survive. Yeah. <laughs> but so far it's cool. Um, you know, I won't go into too much detail cause it's all in development, but they have some new stuff. They have like some leveling up you can do throughout the game. Um, 
the rules are a bit more streamlined in some parts. So I, I'm into it. And I think they got the same artist. Uh, I don't know how you felt about the art, but I think the art for Resist is really nice. I thought it was good. I mean, again, don't want to do a full review here, but the, the, the hard part for me was you get this deck or this hand of five cards, each with two powers on it. And I thought it was going to be overwhelming. And I didn't find it to be overwhelming because basically they said that power either kicks off when you play the card or like during the attack step. And that's it. So you can either play it during the play phase or attack. I didn't even bother reading the attack ones most of the time If when I was in the play phase. Certainly you'd be better if you did do that because then you're like, oh, if I do this here and then I do this when I'm in the attack step, whatever. I didn't do all that. It was my first play of the game. Um, sure. But I, I definitely saw some potential and I know there's a campaign in there as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to exploring that more and see you know where the game takes you. Yeah, I don't there. think it's camp. I mean, it's not like a one mission leads into another campaign. It's a series of like connected uh, scenarios. So it changes up the play a lot. Kind of like the four Northwood one that I mentioned. Okay. Both those are cool in that like, honestly for both the core gameplay is already good enough. I wouldn't care, but they went that extra step and designed a ton of like little scenarios that change things up or tell you which cards to use or give you like special rules to worry about. Yep. You know, you, you might never need them, but it's cool to have them at already a really low pro- uh, price point, you know? Yeah, and that was resist for those of you who got lost because I know we talked about <laughs> like witchcraft and all this other stuff. So that was resist is the main system, and then uh, it's coming to Kickstarter. I think the uh, the next game week. found. I'm I'm on the they have a preview page. By the way, this is hilarious. Um, all three of these great solo games I'm talking about, witchcraft, resist, for Northwood, all into the exclamation point. Every single one of them at the end of the title is resist witchcraft. For Northwood. <laughs> well, I mean, two of them make sense. They're in the same series, right? Even if it's well, sure, spiritual sure. successor I, or whatever. But and, and for Northwood, like you're shouting, like you're trying to bring the entire forest creatures together. That's like the theme of the game. You're trying to like unite nice. to the peoples of the forest. So makes sense. You would shout your battle cry or whatever. That that's that's cool too. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of themes of the game, I got the handy dandy rule book here. So let's read and figure out what the uh, the theme of Red Rains. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to guess what the theme is. Because I definitely have never read it. Let's see what I can guess from all the cards I've played, okay? You tell me how close I get, Peter, okay? Okay. I think there's wizards. Let's see, they're Phoenixborn. They died and came back Highlander style. Okay, you all know Highlander, everyone watching in the YouTube? Of course, yeah, yeah. Yep, you cut off their heads. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Okay, so they died, they came back, gave them magic powers, and now they're fighting the competitive game, but in the Red Reigns mode... The demons that give them their powers have come from the nether realms to fight them. How close am I? I don't know. I haven't read it yet. Let's go. Oh, let's go. <laughs> let's go. We'll, we'll discover it together. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, Chimera. I know that. So apparently it's called Chimera Rulebook. So Chimera is going to be like, you're always going to be fighting against the Chimera, no matter like for all of these. So Red Reigns is the... Is this Chimera's name, I guess? Oh, I got you. And so you're going to be fighting against different ones. The next one is a Frost one, I think, is what they revealed. Frost Wild Scourge is what they say. Right. So, But they're all going to be Chimeras. So the name of the solo mode, I guess, is Chimera, which maybe we should have said that instead of Red Reigns. I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) So uh, ready for this? So Sure. Though long years have passed and no humans who live bore witness, there is not a child upon this rock who does not know the story of the horrifying Red Rains. So you understand, then, when I tell you that those first few drops fell, there was a 
psychic shockwave of panic that swept across Argaria. <laughs> A-R-G-A-I-A. Argaia? Argaia? A-R-G-A-I-A. Argaia. Argaia. Um, that swept across Argaia like nothing ever witnessed before. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it? That's, that's I don't it. even... That's, so that's, I, I guess it's an it's an add-on because clearly everyone playing this game is well versed in the Phoenixborn saga or whatever it is. Oh, hold on. That's, There's objective of the game. Let me maybe maybe this helps. In Ashes, okay. uh, Red Reigns, your Phoenixborn, a powerful magic wielder, battling a godlike monstrosity known as a Chimera, cast spells and summon allies in an effort to destroy the Chimera and win the game. Man, that's still not. That's I'm, I'm let down. I'm disappointed. <laughs> Theme. Wait, hold on, hold on. I, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. Here we Does go. BGG have something different? No, no. I, I am in the Ashes Reborn rulebook. Here we go. Here we go. The red rain swept over the world of Argaia, poisoning the creatures that dwelt there. And from these rains, the Chimera were born. Uh, wait, is this the same thing you read? These monstrous foes slaughtered armies, devoured townships, despoiled the ground and sea. Humans withdrew to the largest of cities. Ages passed and humanity's feature looked bleak, but then a new power arose to confront the Chimera. They were called the Phoenix Born. Humans capable of wielding magic not previously thought possible. They initiated the great cleansing and eradicated the Chimera menace. They ushered in a new golden age, but the mysterious boar source which the Phoenix Born drew upon was not done with them. Each of these wizard warriors had been gifted with a fraction of the true power. Slowly but steadily, the Phoenix Born were plagued with the desire to slaughter their own kind and absorb the abilities of their incinerated kin. What's that sound like to you, Peter? Highlander. That sounds exactly like Highlander. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. There could be only one. So, yes. But So this is a prequel, then, it sounds like. It this does, is... yeah. It's, it sounds like this is when they were fighting the Chimera to save the world before they right. all before they became and Highlander. And you, jerk before holes. they became Connor McCloud yes. and McCloud and started cutting off heads left and right. Man, I hope there's like one Highlander fan in our uh, <laughs> in our well, in our YouTube channel. I mean, because if, if you've never seen Highlander, you need to see the first one. You don't need to see any of the other ones. There were many, many, many others. Just stick with the first one; you'll be fine. Sean Connery. Yes, so the, the first movie is great. Sean Connery, Christopher Lambert. Um, oh, who was the Kurgan? He's a he's a good actor too. Um, Super big dude. I can't think of his name. Yeah, Cl- Cl- Clancy Brown. I want to say. I think is his name. And then actually, the, I used to watch a lot when I was a kid. The Highlander TV show was decent. The second Highlander movie is horrible. Like <laughs> even Sean Connery and like Christopher Lambert were like sad to be involved in it. They like made it like sci-fi aliens all of a sudden. It's not aliens. It's swords. Come on, people. Uh, <laughs> didn't they? Re- they didn't they like remove it from the like pantheon when they? Yeah, made I think three? it's like technically not canon anymore. I think yeah. it's like. Yeah, that that's how bad it was. Um, but three it. wasn't much better either. By the way, it just three wasn't, was a bit better. It wasn't it a jumping the Brown. shark. Hey. It wasn't a jumping the shark moment. That's all. Which clearly yes. number two was um, the, the the quickening. That was the second one, and that was not a good movie. Yes. I saw it never again. All right. Anyway, um, yeah. So the uh, what am I saying? You're doing uh, the rules. <coughs> or I'm dying. All right. I'll I'll go over the rule summary real quick. First thing you do is okay. prepare, which means you roll these. <laughs> Don't <die. laughs> All right. I'm beat myself. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, I'll cough over here. All right. 
So basically, you're going to do several rounds. You're facing off against this Chimera. The goal is to defeat them. In the base game, they have 30 life. In a a co-op game, they have 60 life. Or for the harder ones, it's 35 and 70 life. So you're basically trying to defeat them before they beat one of your uh, Phoenixborn. So in multiplayer, either of the two. Solo, clearly, just your one. Um, But what you do is there are three phases in the game. There is a prep phase where you basically roll dice and draw cards. There is your player turn, which is the meat of the game, where you take two different types of actions. You take a main action, which you have to do, and it can be passing. Uh, And then you take a side action if you want to um, for each turn. And then, so after your action, then the Chimera takes a turn, um, going back and forth. And then at the end, you have a recovery phase where basically you unexhaust everything you use that turn and um, start from the beginning. But if you've played any card game type thing where you're summoning creatures to the board to fight for you, that's the general theme of what you're doing on your turn. On the Chimera's turn, they're just flipping over cards, which are basically uh, enemies that attack. They may have instant effects. They may have long-term effects. But Basically, that's what it is. It's you're taking your turn, enemies taking their turn, back and forth, back and forth. So you run out of dice, then you recover, basically reset everything at the end of the round, and then you, you know, roll your dice and draw your cards back up and, and start a new round again. Well done, Peter. It's all right. I was chuckling uh, there in the middle because uh, Ryan, <laughs> first of all, knows Highlander, said, yes, it's Clancy Brown, freaking love that movie. And then when I was uh, choking to death, he was like, it's okay, Mike, I get choked up talking Highlander too. <laughs> nice. That's nice. it. It was the emotion. That, that, that's what got me. It was the emotion of remembering Ramirez's, uh, you know, well, I won't, I won't spoil Yeah, don't anything. spoil it for people. We, spoil just told Highlander. people to, we just told people to go see the movie. You can't spoil it at this point. We got to remember, there's a younger generation here that might not have seen it. Like, it's not even like whatever. It's not the amount of time passed. It's that there's a whole new generation of fans that we have here. The youngins Wait, love I us, think, Mike. I think the first Highlander came out before I was born. Maybe. Yeah, it is not a new movie. Sean Connery. Oh, no, no, never mind. I, I was five years old when it came out. It's not that old. <laughs> okay. I thought it might have been a 70s movie. All right, so uh, we're going to jump into our actual review. Uh, if you haven't watched uh, before or listened before, welcome. We do our top five things about the game. Uh, same thing I do for the uh, five and five video series. And uh, yeah, we'll go from number five uh, to number one, getting more and more important with the game. And then we'll end with our final thoughts. So uh, I'll start with my number five, since Peter just did yep. double duty for rules and theme. Uh, my number five is the Phoenixborn variety and the deck construction. You know what? No, it's not. That, that should be higher. Hold on. <laughs> Call it an audible. Call it an audible, baby. Well, forget it. You already, you already called it out. Nope, just nope. finish your point. You, you don't even remember what I said. I'm moving on. Okay, so my number five... My number five, I, I was making my list as my kids were going down tonight. So I That's all right. I was making my list as I was um as I was setting up everything. Yeah. <laughs> so my number five uh is uh the ready spells and the conjurations. So this is a cool thing that I don't think I've seen done in this particular way in any of these like kind of card combat games before. So um all the Phoenix board and their starting deck have these, and then of course you can build your deck however you want. But you uh, have some, you know, most of the things you have are like one-off events. You play them and something happens and they go away. Or units that you come into play and they fight with the the uh, the Chimera's people. So that, that's pretty standard stuff. But then they've got these ready spells, which are, 
they're not just like ongoing boosts. You know, like that's how something like uh, Marvel Champions would do it. Like you play this card and now Hawkeye has plus one damage or you play that card and now, uh, you know, in Sentinels of the Multiverse, this character gets to play an extra power every turn. It's not quite like that. Instead, there are spells that still have costs associated with them, but they give you consistent bonuses. So like you can use this spell every turn to boost somebody's attack or you can use this spell every turn to do some dice mitigation or you can use this spell every turn with a cost to summon extra units. And that's that's another cool thing. You get these conjurations, which give you consistently resummable units, because uh, kind of like uh, Summoner Wars, they're both from Plaid Hat. I guess they like these uh, mechanics. <laughs> um, your deck is a one-time thing. Once you go through your deck, you're taking damage every turn that you can't draw to a full hand. So having conjurations that let you kind of bring out units consistently is really cool. So I just like this. It has a feel of kind of upgrading but not quite in the same way as, again, like I said, something like Sentinels of the Multiverse or Marvel Champions does it. It's it's kind of more like uh, broadening your arsenal and making you feel like you have a bigger hand every turn because you have these powers to use. And some of them get stronger as you play multiple copies of the power, which is pretty cool. So I just think this is a, a neat thing. Definitely a full pro for me. The ready spells and the conjurations. I really enjoy it. And Peter, talk for a bit because I got to figure out where I'm going to actually put this uh, <laughs> this second point that, that you never heard about. What was it? Nobody knows. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So the interesting thing, I don't have this as an individual point. Actually, I focused a lot more on the co-op. So I'm glad you're focused on the game as a whole more um, because I definitely focused more on the co-op elements of the game um, in this review and figured people who played Ashes before would know that. Or I figured you might cover some of them. So it's interesting because the thing's called a spellboard and each of your Phoenix born or your heroes give you a different size spellboard too. So some of them have a really big spellboard, let you play a lot of spells, but don't have a very big battlefield, meaning <laughs> you can't have a lot of um, minions up at the same time. Other ones go the other way. So yeah, no, I, I think this is an interesting way of doing things. You exhaust those cards the same way you'd exhaust other cards. Um, so I, I, I guess I do touch on this a little bit later, but um, not in the same way. So no, I agree. It's, it's definitely unique to this game. And where a lot of games have a lot of setup, this game does as well. But it's just interesting how they do the costs of it, because sometimes it's free, but it just takes your main action to play, mm -hmm. which is definitely a cost in this game, because timing and, and tempo is definitely important. So, you know, sometimes it just costs that, and sometimes it costs some of your best dice that you uh, need each turn. So I, I do think it's interesting how they can play with the costs of that, and then the cost to summon things, or the cost to play things after that. So, uh, yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, my number five is the dice, and so getting into the dice, I think for some people this will be much higher up. For me, while I think the system's interesting, I also think the system could be played just fine if they did something else, like paying cards or whatever else uh, instead of dice. But the way it works is uh, you basically choose what 10 dice you want to bring with you, and they don't have to match whatever you're playing against, because each dice has six sides. It's a normal six-sided dice, except they have um, custom sides. Two of the sides on every dice are always the basic symbol. Three of the sides are kind of a symbol that's unique to that type of dice. And the sixth side is a special symbol, like, you know, the, the ultimate side of that dice. And the ultimate side can be used as any symbol below it. And the special symbol for that dice can always be used as a basic dice as well. But if you're on the ultimate side, not only can you use it for, like, things that require the ultimate side as a cost, 
but you can also use it for a special power, which is one of these like um, side actions that you can do every turn that you can use one of the dice. So you may want to even include dice in your dice pool that have nothing to do with any of the cards you're playing. If you really like certain special powers, you can just throw one of those dice in there and you can always guarantee sides. And this is the interesting part of this. You can always guarantee what side of the dice you want by doing something called meditating. And you can take a meditate action and discard as many cards as you want from either your hand, your play area, or even the top of your deck. But remember, you only go through your deck once. You could discard as many cards as you want to change that many dice to the face of your choice. So you can make, you could discard 10 cards to make all 10 of your dice that top symbol, um, whatever it is. So it's interesting in that way, but in the same time, now the timing considerations I'll get into later, but at the same time, it also makes it less impactful for me um, that you can do that. So I don't know. That's why I said the dice are fine. It's mostly a pro for me, but at the same time, I figure I feel like there could have been a cleaner way of doing it. I don't know. I mean, it's cool. You got all these custom dice, but I'm sure it increases production costs and everything else as well, where, you know, it is what it is. Um, some people are going to love it. Some people aren't, but I, I think it's at least interesting and unique what they're doing there and what they try to do there. And so that's my number 10 is the dice mostly a pro for me. Yeah, I'll get into that more later, but it does sometimes feel kind of like it's much ado about nothing. Like yes. They could have just give you, given you 10 mana a turn of different colors, and it would have kind of achieved almost the exact same thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah, I'll talk about that a little bit later. All right, so my number four is uh, the focus on the bosses, the Chimera. And this one is, I guess, probably my biggest negative with the review. I still wouldn't call it a full con. It's uh, the like variety in the bosses. So... I'm looking for prices. It's a little bit weird to find this expansion right now because I think like the main way to get it is through like the Team Covenant uh, Ashes Reborn expansion. Because I think at this point, Team Covenant or I know Summoner Wars, I think Plaid Hat has their own subscription service where you can like consistently get the expansions as they make them. And then I think Team Covenant has like an Ashes Reborn subscription thing where like if you don't buy it through them, you got to wait a little bit longer. So, but best I can tell, the price of this expansion seems to be about $30. And you do get some new player cards for that and like alternate uh, unique cards for some of the Phoenix Born, which is neat. But you get like one boss and two sets of kind of like enemy minions, basically, that he can send out these aspect cards, which are different and I like them. But yeah, the, the con side of this kind of comes in like, I think the majority of the variety of the game is going to come from trying out different decks and different Phoenix born. Yep. I don't think playing against the boss, even with his two different aspects is like drastically different. I think it's going to feel kind of similar in terms of what the boss is doing each time, which is fine. I don't necessarily want like a super complicated boss, but I do think at a $30 price point, if it was Marvel champions, if it was Sentinels of the multiverse, if it was like an Aeon's end expansion, I'd probably expect to get like at least like two or three bosses, Yep. you know, or maybe like some more like player cards. So I, I do feel like the value proposition is a little bit more of a challenge there. Um, and if you don't like invest in at least like the master set or whatever they call it, like kind of like the big starter set with like four or six Phoenix born, if you don't at least like buy that, then you might not have enough variety. So, so you know, I will say there's a deal for the package deal is you can buy the core set and the expansion for 70 bucks. I think that's only oh, okay. directly from Plaid Hat. Now, Terrence got annoyed by this, but uh, they do free shipping at $75. Oh, 
and the bundle <laughs> is 70 so it actually if they charge you five more dollars it would actually be cheaper than paying shipping well i'm sure there's something else they're selling on there you can buy like if you'll just buy an extra summoner for, or phoenix born for 15 bucks right exactly <laughs> yeah, or something like that. either that or i think you could buy dice packs as well and i think that terrence said the dice packs are five dollars for five dice maybe ten dollars for five dice so that's the uh, okay. other option if you wanted to buy two of the I forget which ones. It's got the bowl head on it and the dagger on it. That dice pack, you could buy two of those dice packs, I think, for 10 bucks. So for 40 bucks, you could just get the expansion and the dice. I don't recommend doing that because for 70 bucks, way better deal. Well, also, don't get the dice because the only reason you would need an extra dice pack is if you're a crazy person <laughs> who wants to, like, both of you build a deck that uses more than half dice of the exact same, like, color or whatever they're called. Well, but the only point being that you could y- just buy the expansion and 10 dice and be able to oh. play because of the cards that are in it. But I don't yes. think there's going to be enough Phoenixborn variety in there because you only get one set of player cards, really. And then the yeah. three, uh, the four Phoenixborn, I believe it is, that comes with it. And each of them have unique cards, but it's just unique to that Phoenixborn. Yeah. Literally, yeah, the you other de- you definitely 37 cards in your deck, yeah, would be the same. So I would recommend against doing that. But it is a possibility if you just want to invest 40 bucks to do it that way. But I would definitely recommend... Um, doing that bundle for 70 bucks and then buying a summoner wars faction or something. <laughs> yeah. You buy the starter set. That's like 15 or 20 bucks. I mean, yeah. A, a big thing is like, if you're never going to play this competitive, it's clearly not a great deal. If you're going to play this competitive or you already own it, it's awesome to have this extra mode and so much variety and what like, uh, you know, player cards you bring to it. But the, the boss itself doesn't seem that exciting yet you know it's it's almost like a proof of concept i even looking at the previews for the next boss it looks like they're gonna do more unique things and do like more goofy things so yeah anyway but that's my number four yeah (laughs) it sounds like your final thoughts mike no but uh for for, uh for 30 bucks i do agree it's kind of a hard pill to swallow i actually think the best deal is if you're thinking about getting into the game like just getting that starter bundle for 70 bucks like to me that would be the Again, final thoughts here, but uh, that seems like the best deal for me. But anyway, all right. My number four is the Phoenix Born, um, which I know used to be your number five. Yeah, what? <laughs> that, that never happened. But see, P- Peter, I'm happy you listened to me. I, I feel I feel heard. I feel seen. Like, you know, you, you remembered what my fifth point was until I changed it. It wasn't my fifth point anymore. <laughs> this is you're, the most cool. off the rails review ever. Uh, <laughs> so number four is, uh, see, this is what happens when I don't drink, Mike. It's terrible. It just goes off the rails and doesn't come back. So my, my number four is the uh, Phoenix Born themselves. Um, while there is some difference, I think, and I felt this about Marvel Champions at some points as well, but there's a lot of similarities, right? Because you could make every Phoenix Born almost identical if you use the same set of cards with them. Because I think, what do they have? 30 or 40 card decks? 30, I believe. 30 card decks. Only three of them are unique cards to that Phoenix Born. And the Phoenix Born does have a special power, which a lot of times doesn't even require a certain type of dice to trigger. Or if it does, you can just put one of that dice in and literally make the rest of the deck the same. I feel like a lot of the theme for a lot of the characters, not all of them, because like there's the one snake one that is very different and you definitely want to build around her special power. But for a lot of the Phoenix born, I feel like you could put them like with any set of cards and they would feel similar. Now I haven't played all of them. 
Um, but I've played a lot of them. I've played 10 of them at this point. So I played quite a few of them. And after a while, it just kind of felt like I wouldn't use my hero power that often. Maybe the spellboard size and the battleground size would be different for each one. But I also feel like they're, they're pre-con decks. And that's the other thing. I never built a deck for this. So I only use pre-cons. But I don't know. The feeling for me after a while was like, all right, you're going to summon some stuff. You're going to cast some spells. But I could say that about wait, like wait, any you're game. saying the pre-cons felt the same? They felt pretty similar to me, and I know Terrence dis- I, strongly disagreed I with me. Strongly disagree with you. Like I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I mean, but like, it's not like the Phoenix Born have their own attack or anything, right? Like you're you're well, doing right, but I mean, like summoning, like you things. said, the Snake Lady, like boosting up for people with like the tokens is hugely different. E- even the two that we played with a lot, the guy who has like big beat stick, expensive people, and like a rhinoceros. Versus the girl who has like a ton of conjurations, and that's pretty much like her entire army. But, but my point weak. being, you could put that beat stick deck in well, yeah, with yeah, the yeah. girl. That, so I'm not saying that the Phoenix Born precons are are not different enough. I'm saying the Phoenix Born okay. themselves are not. Sure, 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 sure. I, I got no argument with that. That's yeah, actually going like to my next point. Three which you never heard about before. cards and stuff like that. So for me, yes, there's a, a lot of variety. Not every time you play is going to feel the same, but I do feel like you could put almost any deck with almost any Phoenix Born, and the deck is going to make more of a difference most of the time than the Phoenix Born. It's almost like um in the game we talked about last week, Sky Terror Horde, where I said the castle doesn't seem to make that much difference to me. Sure. I feel like the Phoenix Born's the same here. Like, yes, I'll use their ability sometimes, but it doesn't seem to be the main focus. And a lot of their special cards, like some of them are really, really cool, and some of them are not that cool. But that, to me, doesn't make good variety. That just makes like, okay, why would I ever play with this one when these three cards are clearly sure, like sure. way better? But you need them all to get all the cards. So there's that, right? Like you can't buy the cards without right. the Phoenix board. So there's that. But um, yeah, I do feel like most of the game to me, again, Terrence disagreed with me on this, but is in the deck you're building, not necessarily the Phoenix Born that is attached. Yeah, to. no, no, I, I, I misunderstood. I do agree with that. And I, I combine both of those into my number three point. And this point has never been anywhere else on my list. This is where it uh, always <laughs> it's always belonged. been. <laughs> yeah, so I, I combine the, the Phoenix Born variety, the pre-con variety and the deck construction into one thing. So a few points here. First of all, I totally agree with Peter. The Phoenix Born themselves don't define your strategy or your deck that much, except for, like Peter said, a few exceptions, which is going to, depending on your taste, be a good or a bad thing. The deck construction is also going to be a good or a bad thing because it is very, very freeform deck construction. Yes, You just pick the dice that you're going to use, which are going to determine what mana type you have, but a ton of cards don't need anything except the basic mana to play. So they can be in literally any deck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it's it's more freeform than, say, like Magic the Gathering and the five colors, because it's way easier to get the different colors of mana at any given time. You don't have to hope that you draw a swamp or, or hope you have a card that lets you like search through your deck for a forest. It's way easier. You know, Marvel Champions forces you to have a ton of cards for your hero, and then for most heroes, you pick one of the aspects. You don't use all of them. Yep. Arkham Horror LCG has the same kind of thing. You know, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to go through all the games. Like uh, Sky Terror Horde that we reviewed recently has uh, like one main color. And you can splash in a couple other colors. So yeah, this is very freeform. Some people it's going to excite. Me, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I don't yeah. like deck construction that much. But that is not like, you know, I'm calling this a mix for me. 
it could be the best thing about the game for you. I think for somebody like Terrence, it probably is the best thing. About well, the game. so I, I was talking to Terrence earlier today, and interestingly enough, he said it's overwhelming for him. It's almost like he said it's overwhelming. Well, for him? hold on, Whoa. hold on, but because he buy in late, right? So I do think there is a difference if you bought in from the beginning. So sure. he he is limiting his card pool to like just master set, and then he's going to well, add in expansions. As they come, he owns them all, but he's going to not add them into his deck building until he fully understands what he has. And then he goes, oh, this is new and cool. I'm going to see if I can combine it with this other thing that I already know. So I do feel like to some degree, it's almost like, what was that one game we bought where we loved it? Mythic 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 Battles, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We liked it when we played it with like... 10 units and it was fine it was fun it was great and then you get this kickstarter thing where they send 50 million things at once and it's becomes overwhelming and you don't even want to open the box anymore so i well, do but in this case the nice thing is you can just buy that bundle peter mentioned you don't have to be like terrence who apparently bought everything they had for the game as soon as he could well that was going to be uh-huh. my recommendation is don't buy yeah. everything all at once start slow Figure out if you're liking it and then add more slowly as you go so you're not overwhelmed. Because I think some people do that. They buy all this stuff and then they get like brain lock. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know where to go from here. Yeah. Now, the positive is specifically for the Red Reigns mode, the Silo Co-op mode. I do think the pre-cons are pretty different and do different things and have different combos and have very different like types of units and different abilities in there. So I like all of that. Um the game is a bit notorious for having pre-cons that aren't balanced against each other and aren't necessarily very good. So people say like, you should start deck constructing as quickly as you can. The great thing is when you're playing solo co-op, you can modify the difficulty level to quite an extent in the game. Like they really let you make it way easier, way harder. So I never felt the need to change up the pre-cons. It sounds like Peter didn't either. And that's good because again, like the pre-cons were known to not be great for competitive play, especially if one of you constructed, they would totally wipe the floor with someone who just had a pre-con. But if you are like Peter and I, maybe this deck construction thing is a little bit overwhelming for you. You don't need to do it. You can just take the pre-cons and I think the game works super well and has a lot of variety with that. So, so a mixed point, but if you like really deep deck construction, if you're like a magic player from way back, for example, go into it and you might love this. Yeah, the only thing I'll warn you is there's not really a way to put them back together from what they give you. I guess the core rule book has. Oh, the, yeah. Do your expan- I, I don't see any expansion rule books though. You got plenty of heroes in here where like I would I, have I think, no I, idea how to put them back together. Like I, I if I took them apart. For the I traded for the expansions and they did not have. I think they're online. Yeah, I think yeah, Terrence I, said I think they you- are online. I think if you also, I, I know for Summoner Wars, each of the uh, Summoner packs I bought from Plaid Hat has had a list of every card for that faction. So I think, so I'm pretty sure they would have the same thing for Phoenix Spawn, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. With that being said, I had no problem playing against standard difficulty. When I ramped up the difficulty playing with those pre-con decks, I definitely had a challenge to, oh, yeah. wasn't able to win. <laughs> um, with with that, so it, it ramps up fairly quickly. I feel like also when you go from four to five cards, it's a pretty substantial change. But maybe we'll get to that later. My number three point is the AI activations. Um, and this will be a really quick point because the AI activations are really quick. Basically, on your turn, you're rolling a twelve sided dice. You are rolling at another dice which just has half basic side, half these red range shards on them. If you roll a shard, you put it in. Uh, 
once you get five with shards on them, then they add a red rains token. At a certain point in solo, it's three. If they have three red rains tokens in front of them, then they will kind of level up um, the enemy and they get a whole new activation card. So the activation card, the way that works is you roll the D12 and it tells you if you roll a five to nine, do this. If you roll a six plus or a six and seven, do this, whatever. Um, but basically what it does a lot of times is it'll either mess with your dice or mess with their dice, maybe giving them more things. Or just if you roll a 12, it'll just give them one of those red rain shards, which by the way, your dice is weighted. I rolled more 12s than any living human being has any right to roll. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so sometimes the game will accelerate really fast. But the other thing it does is it flips over these cards in front of you. And I guess we never really talked about that. So the at the beginning of each round, the enemy AI is going to put a certain number of cards in front of you. It starts with four for standard mode, but it can go up to five, six, or even seven at the very hardest mode cards in front of you and all those are going to be different monsters that'll activate and do things to you but when you roll this dice it basically tells you to flip over one of the cards with 90 percent of the results it's going to tell you that it might tell you to attack instead and if you can't attack then flip over a card so so it's going to eat, most of the time flip over the cards and it might attack with that card it might do other stuff but it's super fast activations for the enemy which is good because your turns are super fast too because you're just mm-hmm. doing these micro actions so it's really neat what they did with the enemy ai activations it is swingy um because 12s are definitely going to be way better than if you rolled ones and twos it's going to the enemy is going to slow play way more than if you're rolling 12s over and over again uh so it is a little bit swingy that way but for the most part um i really like the way the enemy activated and it was nice and quick which made me happy yeah no i totally agree with that i think it's a a smooth like kind of boss activation overall uh my number two is focusing on like the unit management and the combat so kind of their units that peter was mentioning and your own I just like these kind of games. Like I, I am a magic player from way back, even though I somehow stopped liking deck construction along the way, but putting out your units, they have a lot of abilities. They have a lot of special powers, but usually it's not too overwhelming. You can like boost them with abilities and stuff. They can attack the enemy boss straight up. Although some of the enemy bosses will block for them. They can attack and try to manage the aspects, the kind of minion cards. Cause any of them that stay alive will automatically boost the boss towards their like level up mode their ultimate attack, which you don't want to do, but they can also block for your uh, Phoenix born. Your Phoenix born can block for them. And then like, if you, if you wait for the enemies to activate, then the enemies become exhausted and they can't retaliate against your attacks anymore. So suddenly they're way easier for you to pick off with your units. So I think kind of like the playing of units, the managing of units, units blocking for each other, the Phoenix born blocking, like when you attack the boss, when you attack the minions, I, I like all that stuff in a lot of games, and I think it's really good here. I think you get some nice, interesting choices, and uh, definitely like the timing of it. I think Peter's going to talk about the timing later, but like the timing of when you attack and who you attack and how long you wait for the enemy to do their stuff, I find all of that to be really tactically interesting. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, and uh, I will talk about a lot of that later. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, I mean, that is the heart of what it is. It's it's basically Hearthstone, Magic, all those games. If you wanted to play it against an AI, here you go. They they did a found a good way to do it. All right, so co-op is my number two. Uh, co-op versus solo. And I think it both works. I think some of these games sometimes, I mean, when we played Keyforge, Rise yes. of the Key Rack in the first one, the co-op didn't really work. 
I think here it does really work. Basically, you each have your own line of enemies that you're fight facing, but you can attack each other's enemies. But when it's a player's turn, they have to deal with what's in front of them. And so the interesting part is, because of the way you attack and do damage, you have lots of choices as far as what you're going to damage. If one of the Phoenixborn is getting really hurt, you can just defeat all of their enemies and leave the other person with a mess of enemies in front of them. So... Basically, all they do is really double the number of enemies you're facing. They double the life of the of the villain. It's not overly clever what they did, but because the turns are so fast, it works. Sometimes it doesn't work, right? Marvel Champions does the same thing, and I don't know that it always works as well as it yeah. does here. Scaling can be weird, and especially when you let it scale up to three and four players, which is something I actually wanted to talk about in our design discussion. I think it was a smart decision to limit it to two players. I think... Mm-hmm. By scaling the way they did, it would, you know, it could scale the game to much uh, longer lengths at higher player counts. So they kept it to a reasonable length, even at two players. And I think it works very well co-op. You know, it's almost more fun because, again, you get to decide where those attacks are going to be. The only thing they didn't scale basically one for one is the number of Rand Raiden's tokens they need, meaning you need a little bit less in multiplayer to trigger it. And so it just puts a little bit more pressure on you because you have a little bit of an advantage of deciding where to spread that damage mm-hmm. to. It's giving the the AI a little bit of advantage, and I think it works. I, I feel like the difficulty felt about the same for both. And honestly, if I'm going to play, I'd rather play multiplayer personally, even though Solo is great too. So. Yeah, no, I mean... I like them both. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think Peter and I are going to do a Sky Terror Horde versus uh, Red Reigns discussion for a Patreon video for this month. And yeah, I want to get into that because the the way they, they both did two-player only for the co-op, and they did it in very different ways, and I'm not sure which one I prefer. But wait, that was your number two, right? That was my number two. So your number okay, one cool. oh, was that was- <laughs> is the Phoenix Born. The Phoenix Board of Deck Construction. It's back, baby. It's back. You thought he number five, no. number three, number one now. It's all over the board. Actually, you know what? I'm bringing, remember my ready spells and conjurations? That's number one. We're sliding everything. <laughs> yeah, so mine is, I combined, maybe these two should have been separated. I know you separated it, Peter, but I combined like the dice use and the card play sure. into my number one. And I'll start out by fully agreeing with Peter. I, I like, you know, as a Magic player from way back, as a Hearthstone player, as a Legend of the Five Rings player, as a Netrunner player, like all, all these CCGs and all these kind of games, I, I do think I fall in the camp of like consistent mana in some fashion, right? Consistent like resource to play your cards in some fashion. And I think having 10 dice every turn and you decide what color mix you have to play your different types of cards if you do deck construction. I think that works well. I think it's cool that very few of your dice are going to have the best symbol, but that actually uh, each of those symbols has like a special ability you can use it for instead of playing cards. You have generally five cards a turn, but the play of them is interesting because you often can't afford all of them, which ones you want to play. Do you want to throw them away for effects? Because lots of Phoenix won't have ways to like throw away cards. You know, how quickly do you want to mill through your deck and get to other stuff? I find all those choices really interesting. I do totally agree with Peter that <laughs> they made their production cost and the cost to buy into the game quite a bit higher with these uh, custom dice. And often I don't really care, yep. you know, and w- when I do care, I, it is a choice to mitigate. And I appreciate that I can mitigate by discarding cards often from the top of my deck, bringing me closer to running out of cards. 
but it also kind of feels like it's so easy that it's not a choice, if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, like the, the dice don't necessarily excite me, but they also don't bother me. And I do like just having consistent 10 mana every turn. You know, the choices of where to spend it. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, this would have been a so much simpler solution to me. You keep the custom dice, right? And you keep the same thing on each, but they're all the same. So why don't they all have the same symbol? Like, that's the hardest part for me. Sometimes I'll look and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this symbol or whatever else? And literally, it almost doesn't matter. So like, what if I just took a special power at the beginning of the game that my highest symbol does, but it's always the same, you know what I mean? Or what if it was tied to the Phoenix born in some way or another, where I have well, the I, same... I think I think I'd play as in a deck construction, like somebody... Somebody might take some frog dice just because they love the frog power to deal damage to things, you know, and that like is filling a void in what their deck can do against some like types of enemies and stuff. Sure. So I, mean, uh, so I, I hear mean, you, but I, point, also, but I also but, disagree. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, um, keep going. Anyway, sorry. L- long story short, uh, just like the combat, I think there's a lot of great choices here. The dice is not a full on pro because I think the dice are again, kind of much to do about nothing, but I think the turn to turn choices and I think Peter might be about to get into this, but not just what my choices are on my turn, but which choices I do first. Because, you know, in competitive play, they're going to be doing spells too. They're going to be attacking you. It's not like most games where you just play out all your cards and do all your stuff and then attack with all your monsters. It's a quick you go, I go micro turn structure. And I think that makes the choices so much more interesting because like, I know they're probably about to reveal somebody and, oh, it might be somebody who's going to attack this guy and I need to get my defender out now, but oh man, this will work out way better if I get this spell out first, but I really want to use this ability from that die. So, you know, even with some gripes about the dice themselves, I think uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in terms of card play, mana management, and timing in the game. And Peter, I assume that's going to be part of your number one too? Yeah, my number one, I said quick activations. Um, I, I kind of laid it broad, but I really wanted to cover the main and the side action part yeah. of that. Um because you have to do a main action every turn, even if it's passing. Now, if you pass against the AI, there are consequences for doing so. Uh, I think, what, do they automatically turn the dice to a red rain side, or do they get a red rain's token? Oh, yeah, yeah. If, One if of those... you, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, they get a, they got to die automatically. It's not as bad as them getting an entire token automatically. Right. So, and again, you need five of those die to get a red rain's token. So there is a consequence for doing it. I never did it, which is why I didn't know what the consequence was. I always like had a main action I wanted to do, but theoretically, if you're a better player than me, maybe even you might want to pass and let the AI do all their stuff first before you, you jump in and do some stuff. But the timing is so interesting because with some characters, I really, or with some decks, I shouldn't even say characters because mm-hmm. I don't know those characters specific, but I really wanted more side actions Like, I was like, oh, man, I need to change this die, but I also need that side action to be able to to use that die that I just changed. Oh, man, that stinks. But sometimes I wanted, like, main actions, and it was like they were really slow because of the main actions. Like, I got to put a card down, and then I got to pay a Mm -hmm. main action to summon something, and then I got to pay a third action to attack with that something that I just summoned. So it's like three turns before I could even do anything, and sometimes it's I summon the thing, and then I got to, like, add counters to it first before I can attack with it or do anything useful. So now I'm taking a fourth action and a fifth action, and, like, it's really slowing you down. Meanwhile, the other player's tempo and timing is different. So I think they do a good job of differentiating the cards that you can play based on the timing that they have. And the pre-con decks do a very good job, I feel like, of giving you those th- those feelings. And that's why 
again, I don't know that the Phoenix Born are what makes them feel different more than the cards in the deck, but I do feel like some decks are just, I got a big monster that I'm really working on getting out and others are like, you know, really fast tempo and like all their creatures are really small and wimpy, but like you could kill them or you can even put them in the enemy row sometimes. Oh, and speaking to that, just a, a side point real quick. Not every deck I don't think works as well. Similar yeah. to Keyforge, you did have a like a, a kind of controlling deck that was in there, which you put units in front of the other player, which normally affects their battle line, but do- the amount of cards that they can have, but it doesn't in the multiplayer mode. So there was one hero I definitely had pulled out. I started playing and I'm like, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense. Like, like the like half of my shtick is like clogging up your battle line so you don't have as many units available to you right so which does nothing in the in the red rain so there was only one pre-con that was like that that i saw but uh, of the ones we have anyway so there is a little bit of that as well but no but one of the getting back to the good points and the quick activations i love that main action side action and like just the timing of how you had to get those to work like there are many turns they'd go oh i'm gonna do this and then this i go no wait a minute i'm gonna do this and then this and so while while turns should be and can be and are very quick, I think there's a lot of, yeah, but I could do this. Yeah, but I could do that, which means there's good decisions there, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's always something that you're thinking about. And so that's, for me, the number one thing that stands out. The number one best part of this game is those tactical choices you're making from round to round, what to do when. And I also realize that even though games like Marvel Champions are my favorite, I wish they did this. I wish they had micro actions for you. I wish they had micro actions for the AI. It makes downtime feel less. And I would think even if they expanded this to four players, I'd feel the same way that it has very little downtime because you're just taking one or two small actions. So for me, yeah, that makes sense. that's the biggest thing for the game is the quick activations. Um, I just love integrated turns like that. All right. So final thoughts. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, we kind of already shared a lot of them, <laughs> yes. but, uh, yeah, I think I really enjoyed this mode. I think it's kind of crunchy. It does remind me of like my Magic the Gathering days. I personally don't want to deck construct that much, but I think the pre-cons work pretty well. I'm in a weird situation. I, I didn't say. We, we got a review copy of just the Red Reigns expansion, the $30 thing. I had a ton of cards that I had traded somebody for a while ago just kind of to see what the game was about. And then I spent, uh, it's like 30 bucks to get an upgrade pack that take because these were like first edition cards and it like kind of it replaces a ton of the cards like so many cards come in this upgrade pack um so i updated my set to second edition you know i can see me and peter playing this sometimes competitively my son might not quite be there yet we're playing kind of easier games like this but i can see him playing it at some point and then like this mode is a nice thing to add on but yeah, the big thing is, would I recommend this? Like a $70 buy-in, let's say, if you go for like the, the master set and the first boss to get a set. Would I recommend this over other like just solo co-op games like this? You know, again, I would compare it to like Marvel Champions base set. Aeon's End, one of the base sets. Uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Like those are all different games. And this game is also very different from them. Like we were just talking about, it has like micro actions and kind of more of a magic, the gathering feel, but in terms of value, if you're just going to play solo co-op, like we already said, I think this is a tough sell, but yeah. if you have any interest in playing it competitively, I've enjoyed my plays of it competitively. I think there's a lot to dig into and clearly there's a pretty vibrant community for the game. And I think they're doing a good job with this mode. And I think more is definitely coming. So this could be like a lifestyle thing to get into. 
but I don't know if solo co-op is enough at the price point that you need to get into because it's not a solo co-op game. You know what right. I mean? It is a cool mode. And this is what our design discussion is going to be about. It is a cool mode for people who like the competitive game. And that's, I think, where it's going to live. That's where our, my recommendation is going to stay. I do not recommend this over all those other games I just mentioned. If you're just going to play it solo co-op, I just don't think you're getting the best bang for your buck there. But it may be more fun. I mean, well, that's true. I mean, yeah, I that's guess the, the recommendation is, is the- caveated with... If you really love deck construction, like of this type, very freeform deck construction, if you really love like Magic the Gathering stuff with a cool like kind of twist on it, maybe this would be the game that would be amazing for you and those other ones would fall flat. I I don't know. I'm going to compare it to one of my favorite games, which is Keyforge. And Keyforge came up with a free expansion. And so, which I feel like was a better way to do it. I mean, this expansion is way better gameplay wise though, right? So, like, Keyforge, yeah. you could get into and play solo co-op for $10. You got to buy a, te- a deck for 10 bucks, and then, well, for co-op, you'd have to buy two decks, so $20. And then you could print and play the free expansion. Now, they're charging 25 bucks for it now, I think. If you want to get it, I, you might still be able to print and play it. But um, the gameplay here is better. Now, I don't know that I like all the aspects of gameplay here better, but mm. the 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 solo co-op part here is better. It's better thought out. It's better designed. Um, at least in my opinion, like it is more fun. And I like Keyforge a lot. Um, I like the core gameplay there better. Like I'd rather play Keyforge any day than ashes, like competitively, mm-hmm. but I do think the solo mode here is much better. So I'm going to compare it to that one here to hear our thoughts on this verse sky terror horde. I mean, wait till the end of the year discussion or Mike and I are going to hash it out. Um, I do feel like for me, I'll just give a, a high level. I do feel like sky terror horde is more bang for the buck for me, not only cost wise, but time wise investment. But you know, again, if you like deck building, then sky terror horde doesn't really have it. Anything compared to this game, um, yeah. what you get out of the box. So yeah, uh, I mean, it, it I think from hearing our discussion, you should at least have a good idea. If you don't, then go watch Mike's playthrough of it. Um, I'm going to do one coming up probably in the next week or so. I know I'm doing Sky Terror Horde this week. I may also just do a, a Red Reigns playthrough right afterward if I have time. Uh, Terrence may even be on with me, so you might be able to see co-op for both of the games. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Um, on our streaming channel uh, over the next week or so. And by the time you hear the podcast, it may already be up. So yeah, so keep an eye out for that. But no, for me, um, it's a good game. It's got good stuff to it. The 70 bucks is hard and it's going to be a personal decision. And I think if you like deck building, then you're going to get much more value out of it than if you don't mm-hmm. like deck building. Yeah, agreed. All right, so uh, we're going a little bit long, but we'll uh, jump into our design discussion, which is on uh, the idea, and we might have talked about this before, Peter and I couldn't remember, of like adding a solo co-op mode onto a competitive game, what we were just discussing. So first of all, Peter, you bring up the interesting point of Keyforge Adventures, where it was like a free print and play, which certainly is a wonderful way to let people get into your game easier and like try out the new mode more easily. Yep. It's a tough pill to swallow, though, if you put in hours and hours of, like, designer time and balancing and graphic design and arts like uh, Keyforge did specifically. Like, they needed new art for the key racket and all that stuff. But that that was Fantasy Flight Asthma Day. They, they uh, have the money to do that. It'd be tough for, like, I think just uh, a, a little mom-and-pop designer to uh, to make that happen, right? 
Yes and no. Um, I think it's going to sell more of your base game, right? If we told people you got to pay 40, 50 bucks to go out and try this expansion, I guess it's not that much difference in price with the, the 70 bucks, but it is. I mean, it's 20, $30 difference. You know, it, it, it makes a difference in people's decision making. Now, I'm not saying you have to release everything, and that's what Keyforge eventually ended up doing. They added more stuff to the one you can purchase, but they mm-hmm. also still let you play it, at least a base version of the game. And I think maybe that's what I would do if I was to have a competitive game like this. Well, first of all, you and I are doing exactly that with Dark Dealings. We're releasing a completely free rule set that we play tested hours and hours and hours. Now, granted, no, not, we're not doing any art no, or graphic design or any components, exactly. you know. But I mean, we put in lots of work ourselves to that for what? So people can enjoy what they already have more. So I, I do think that there is, you know, certainly reasons to do it. I, I think it leads to more sales of your core stuff, your core set, you know, your, your expand, you know, if you're doing mini expansions, whatever you have, it, people could just buy that and try it out. And then if they want to pay you money for the full thing, they can. So I do think maybe you put out your easiest mode. We've talked about this a lot of times. Mm. People are going to get bored with the easy mode after a while, and they're going to want harder challenges. Maybe the free one, you just put out the easy mode, and it's like, hey, if you want more of a challenge, we have that in the full box. You'll get the easy mode also, but it'll also give you more of a challenge if you want that. So I always think giving people a taste to try a demo of yeah. your stuff is always a good idea, whether it's on TTS or whether that's, you know, by doing a free print and play or whatever. I mean, I do think it's it's clever in a business sense, because theoretically you're opening up an existing product that you've already done a lot of design work with to like a new market, right? Or a new like uh, aspect or portion of the market. And I guess the hope is that you might drag them into the other mode of play, right? Like Descent uh, Second Edition, I wasn't that into it. Like I did play some of it, but I wasn't that into it until they added like the little like online campaign mode. Same thing with Imperial Assault. I bought a ton of Imperial Assault stuff to play the online campaign mode, but then we played some skirmish too. Like since I had it, why not try it? Yep. You know, I guess is was sort of the thought process. Well, even if you don't try it, maybe you introduce me to it. And then I go out and buy it and I try it and I like the other modes and I introduce that to somebody else. Like it can be a chain reaction. I mean, that's what marketing is. Word of mouth is, is like the more ways now kind of contradicting ourselves a little bit. Cause I know we said at the beginning or in several podcasts, like don't develop 50 modes for your game when you're first releasing, cause none of them will be good. I do still think having a core mode is good, but I think if you have a bunch of time to dedicate to making a really good second way of playing the game you know not at release don't overwhelm people with choices that off the bat but yeah but adding something like this later on i do think provides more values for for not only the players you already have but for introducing new people to the game and getting new people into it yeah because i mean if i you know just sort of uh if i have a game that i've sold like a thousand copies of and then i make an expansion for it Maybe a few new people buy it, but let's say I sell like 800 copies of the expansion and then make another expansion. I sell 600 copies. That's like a, that's a pretty known thing, right? In like not just board games and lots of stuff. But if I make a new mode, maybe I not only sell that mode to 500 of the original players, but I unlock 800 new people. And those 800 new people, if my mode works with all the previously released content, might go and buy everything else for the, you know what I mean? And suddenly I get all these new sales across the entire like line of releases. 
again, I think that's like the hope. Now that does, um, there's something that bothers me a lot. And Peter, you mentioned it a little bit with these kind of models where they add on co-op uh, solo or add on competitive. It can go the other way too. And that's when things don't work. Yep. You know what I mean? And my biggest advice for this, I've seen a few different ways to do it to like kind of get around this where, and, and to clarify what I'm saying, like uh, maybe some cards just don't function in the new mode, you know, like that thing doesn't exist for the enemies. So first of all, you can be clever. I think uh, like I talked to some of the people who did like playtesting for the ashes reborn solo co-op mode. And they really went out of their way to make like 98% of the cards or something like work at least reasonably, you know, like maybe they won't be perfect. But another cool thing is that with the red rains mode, they included these cards and made it said, Hey, if, if you have a deck you made and a card that doesn't work at all, summon one of these cards instead. And they're like a, you know, there's something like change one of your dice for free to a different side and draw a replacement card, you know, or it makes me think of, this isn't quite the same thing. Actually, I guess it kind of is. Never mind, It totally is. Um, the, <laughs> the dice throne adventures solo co-op mode. That's an add on to dice throne, yep. you know, competitive uh, dice card game. That one, you could upgrade your deck and stuff, and those upgradable cards, which would replace cards in your deck, so your deck would like stay the same size if you wanted it to, those upgradable cards could be at any time discarded to draw a new card. So I think like something along those lines, like if you know you've got some dead cards, provide replacements, provide like a new action you can take that cycles through things, or that like give yourself a new action that lets you discard things for something else. Just, you know, t- turn the uh, lemon into lemonade. That's the expression. T- turn the lemon into the lemonade for players. Uh, don't, don't make them dwell on the fact that, man, I, I spent all this money for like a thousand cards and a hundred of them or 200 of them don't even work in your game mode. I think that's going to like set kind of a negative uh, feeling for things. Yeah. All right. Before I forget, stay tuned after the outro. I have a rant that I'm going to go on. My Hey Mike is going to be a little bit of a rant this week and something that somebody did really good on and so i'm ranting on everybody else who didn't do so good on it so stay tuned afterward for that after the outro i agree and one of the hardest things to do is player scaling we talked about it a little bit earlier yeah we worked on this ourselves i mean literally for dark dealings we had the how to play portion done like 10 minutes in i feel like like 90 percent of what we came up with with the core of that stayed the same and we had to play test hundreds of hours it feels like to get player scaling right because it's like oh it works really well at two players but now it doesn't work at four players and then how do we make small but significant changes to make it work and then how does that affect the two-player mode right Mm -hmm. it's like so do we change it at two-player mode so really i think a lot of these companies are doing a smart thing by releasing solo and and two-player only especially when you're talking about a two-player game anyway it makes sense just get that core audience of two now they're playing two together so i like that they're not just solo a lot of times although i think that would be perfectly fine as well but i'm glad they're not expanding out to these player accounts where the game's not fun anymore it's taking too long whatever else because it's a hard choice to make right do i just double everything's life which what this game does it doesn't work at three and four players it really doesn't you know marvel champions does it and it's just too long right so um you know i, I think it's a hard decision and hard to do harder than you would think to turn one of these competitive games when you're not designing it from ground up, it's harder than you think to work with what you've got and make player scaling work. So I'm glad a lot of them are doing like solo and two player only. I think it's smart and maybe they figure it out down the road, but 
you know, for their initial releases, I think it's smart to keep it to that low player count as well. Well, because player scaling is such such a bane of the existence of solo, well, not solo, but cooperative uh, design in general. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think, I mean, it's not necessarily easier than competitive because you get into things like king making competitive games sometimes and that kind of stuff, which can be very problematic in their own way. But yeah, like we know there's so almost every cooperative game, you could be like, all right, so w- which way does it go? Is lower player counts a billion times easier or is higher player counts a billion times easier? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, uh, what is it? Sentinels of the Multiverse, higher player count, generally much easier. Uh, too Many Bones, higher player count, way easier. Pandemic, lower player count, way easier. <laughs> you know, like... It's, yeah. It's just, and so not it, everybody does... I mean, even some of the best games of all time don't do it right. And again, Marvel Champions, one of my favorite games. I don't want to play it three and four players. They just don't. I know people disagree with me. Well, some hardcore Marvel Champions fans disagree with me. But like most people, I think, feel the same way. It just doesn't scale right. Um, it's just best at two players. So when, And I won't even go like with right and wrong. Like I know for you and me, a lot of it is uh, downtime. Yep. We as gamers don't like downtime. Some people don't mind downtime or they're really into other players' turns or they don't mind being on their phone while somebody else is like thinking for a while. Um, you know, and for things like Pandemic, Sentinels of the Multiverse, uh, all the ones I just mentioned... You know, they, they have difficulty modifiers. They have harder and easier modes and bosses. So if you're playing, you know, five-player Sentinels, maybe you should kick the boss up to such a more challenging mode. Maybe you shouldn't use the most powerful hero. You know what I mean? Like, sure. So as you get to know the game better, there are ways to kind of work around it. But yeah, I, I, in any case, I think you're right, especially if I'm a competitive designer who maybe is not used to designing co-op and dealing with that specific problem. You know, especially if it's like what we've been talking about, a 1v1 game. There's no player balancing whatsoever there. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Player against player. The players balance themselves. So suddenly jumping from that, if they tried to make this like a five-player game, that's a nightmare. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I think we've gotten some good points out of this that people can walk home with is, I mean, for me, the three things. That walk stick, home. <laughs> walk home. Yeah, yeah. Get out of here. You know, Every, everyone's podcasting out outside. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I walk, I walk around walking my dogs, listen to podcasts all the time, or fall asleep to them as well. So that's a totally different thing. Um, not because I don't find them interesting, just because you know, sure, you need soft melodic tones coming in your ear. So I should probably stop yelling and screaming. It's <laughs> like, wake up. <laughs> uh, all right. But uh, yeah, no. So the the take home points for me that I've heard is uh, player scaling. You know, try to keep it low player count for when, especially if it's like a lower player count game to start with. Try to keep it low player count at first, so you don't have to deal with figuring out player scaling as much. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, oh, there were two more I had in my head a second ago. Oh, give away a little bit for free if you can. Like, you know, at least like the beginner mode, maybe have difficulty scaling in a for sale product if you want to do that. But I do think it's a way to enliven a old um, property you have, something that maybe people weren't talking about for a while. Giving away a new mode, a cooperative mode for free, a solo mode for free is kind of a fun way to get people in. Once you have people play test it and basically throw it out in the wild, that's what's going to happen. People are going to tell you what they think about it, maybe make some tweaks to it and, and have an official product released after that um i think that's a a nice way of doing it uh so for me those are kind of the main points that i came away with anything different for you mike no i think you covered it but again i think it can be very rewarding 
and it's certainly easier, I, I would say, <laughs> than making a whole new game. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so that's 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 certainly a big pro. Yeah, although you're not going to sell, like we know, expansions don't sell as well as the base game. Usually it's half or less, and it's usually half after that for each expansion. So if your base game sold 1,000, your expansion will probably sell 500. The second expansion will sell 250, and so on and so forth down. So don't expect it to be as profitable as the main game, but you can probably get it done much quicker, especially, and here's one of the huge pros for doing an expansion for your game, and even one that changes the mode, You've got a core concept there. You're not right. designing from space zero. You're designing from a starting point and you're just getting to like tweak or add on or whatever else. Um, with that said, we should actually probably put the dark dealings, at least like our ugly version of it up for people to try out. Um, we'll definitely post it in our discord. How about that? Um, and then when we get permission from the publisher to put it on board game geek, we'll throw it up there as well. So look out for our co-op expansion for dark dealings. If you already have that game, that'll provide you some value for something you already own. If you don't, I don't think there's a current way to buy dark dealings, but, um, greater or not greater than games dice. Hate me does have some copies, um, that I think when their web store reopens that you'll be able to get from there as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, if you haven't played Dark Dealings, it's a competitive game by trait, but we did the same thing. We added a solo mode. We're given to you, and a co-op mode, we're given to you for free. That's right. <laughs> and our co-op mode does go up to uh, four players, so... It does. and Disregarding me, our own advice. <laughs> well, but we've done a lot of co-op stuff. We've worked a lot with co-op, and uh, and it still took us many, many hours to get it right. So. <laughs> cool. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey, Mike. Yes. It's rant time. Yeah, what are you going to rant about, buddy? Let's go. <laughs> rule books. Rule books, rule books, rule books. Why doesn't everybody do what they did here with Red Reigns and give you two rule books? One rule book is for people who have never played Ashes before in their entire life. And it covers mm -hmm. everything you need to know for mm -hmm. not only Ashes, but for the solo co-op mode. Yes, and, and smoothly integrating it as though you have never played the regular as game. And this is the only the way you only rule book. Yeah, yeah. Then they have a second rule book, which is just for people who know the base game well and just want to know how to integrate the expansion. Like, they have a full rule book for somebody who's never played the game before it is so smart it is so brilliant but you're also not forcing people who know the game to like learn the rule book even expansion mm -hmm. rule books this drives me absolutely freaking nuts Fl fantasy flight is famous for this they'll have like a yeah. four page rule book and it's like change rule 57 on page 12 it's like <laughs> what the heck now i gotta remember i'm doing setup i'm in the middle of it i do setup normally now it's like oh i was supposed to change step eight only like, give me a whole new setup. Like, if that's the way it's going to be, like, give me a whole new setup with everything listed. Don't try to save money. Don't cheap out on that stuff. Like, or man, Peter, I know this will trigger you. How about games that change entire phases and don't give you an updated uh, player reference card? Oh, gosh. For the love <laughs> of God. Like, 
please people like seriously it's it's look it's not easy to do or everybody would do it but this is the right way to do it come up with a whole new rule book that integrates everything as if you had never played the game before um that being said dark dealings doesn't have that but we're giving it to you for free so whatever like deal with it oh. <laughs> um yeah but no i mean i don't know i don't know it's like i don't know it drives me crazy and it's so well done here and so easily integrated Mm -hmm. that it was like it it just made me happy it it made all parts of me happy that's like the best part of this game was the two rule books Mm -hmm. all right with that we'll see y'all later (laughs) rant over